0: All right, so Acts 18. So I'm not going to re-preach what Tyler taught on. We we mentioned that in verses 1 through 3, he really focused in on uh, Priscilla and Aquila. However, I am going to read verses 1 through 6. I know, like Tyler, he only took three verses. Well, guess what? I'm really kind of only taking three verses, too. Uh, I am going to do a little bit of recap, a little overlap, uh, and just uh, sometimes with Acts, I love the book of Acts because... uh, Acts, uh, you've got historical narrative, but you also do have doctrine, you have practical Christian living, you have church history going on here, and so there's a lot there. And so sometimes you need to, to kind of do that, that Zoom, right? Think about it, if you're taking a picture Everybody's a photographer now that we've got smartphones, right? And so sometimes we do that zoom shot like Tyler did last week with Priscilla and Aquila. But then sometimes we need to to back off and do the panorama and and make sure we're getting the big picture throughout history also. And so that's kind of what we're doing is we're uh, going to take and zoom out, but then we're going to zoom back in again. So we're going to do multiple shots here with this. So Acts 18 verses 1 through 6. It says, after these things, he left Athens, and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native to uh, Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working uh, For by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to uh, persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook off his garment and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. For now uh, on, I will go to the Gentiles. So, what I want to talk about is uh, all things for the sake of the gospel. This was really Paul's theme. This was the theme of all of his missionary journeys. Uh, This is uh, Paul's life is for the sake of the gospel. And one thing I want to talk about as we will double back just a little bit overlapping into verses 1 and 3 is I want to talk about his good work ethic. So last week, Tyler shared how Paul moved from Athens to Corinth. Uh, We were introduced to Priscilla and Aquila. We were also made aware of Paul's trade being a tent maker. Paul was brought up, do you think about back now in the history, Paul was brought up to be a, what was Paul brought up to be? His whole upbringing, from birth, Sammy, a Pharisee. He he was born for this. He was of the perfect heritage. He was... uh, his parents, as a, as an infant, his parents held him to every letter of the law to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained by the 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 most noted uh, Pharisee. I believe it was Gamaliel. I have a hard time with names, but <clears throat> Gamaliel. Uh, so the the prominent teacher, right? He had everything. Every he held to the law perfectly. If anybody could be saved by their works, by holding to the, to the law, by holding to what the Jewish tradition said you hold to, it would have been Paul. And so this was his whole grooming, his whole upbringing. And yet, he also has a trade, a physical trade as a tent maker. And this was actually common in the Jewish customs of those days, that you would not just rely on uh, an inheritance or on being a predominant religious leader, but that you would have a good work ethic and a good trade. And actually, Rabbi Judah said, uh, and Rabbi Judah was one of the prominent rabbis back in those time frame. Uh, He said, he that teaches not his son a trade is as if he uh, taught him to be a thief. And so that was the teaching even in the rabbinical system is that if you're teach- not teaching your children to trade, if you're not teaching them how to actually be able to work and make a living, you're-, you're really training them to be a thief. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're teaching them to go out and be like a pickpocket or steal th- stuff from the market, which it could lead to that, but you're teaching them to, to mooch. To, you guys know that word, right? That used to be big when I was. You mooch off of people, right? And so you're, you're going around and you're really just depending on other people's graces. And, and honestly, if you look around today, there are a lot of people in the, quote, ministry, pastors, evangelists, that are simply using religion to mooch off of people. their whole dependency is is off of people providing them luxury things, right? And they're like, I need a new jet. The Lord told me I'm supposed to have a new jet, and you're supposed to pay for it. And so if you don't pay for it, you're dishonoring the Lord. they, They become manipulators. And so instead of just preaching the gospel for the sake of God being glorified, they're preaching the gospel for the sake of their own personal gain. And there is, a, there is a distinct difference. Now, there is the command for, for the elder that rules well to, to, to receive a reward. And so, the paid ministry, I'm grateful for paid ministry. That's my job, right? However, uh, it's not a, a mooching thing where I'm trying to manipulate the preaching of God's word to be able to gain my financial ease and not have to work. Believe it or not, I still have to work. I still have to work very hard, and I'm grateful for the trades that God has given me. And so, a good work ethic is is something also that equates really when you have a good physical work work ethic, it really translates to a good spiritual work ethic. So I would say that you you don't have to necessarily. If you have a good work ethic, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a good spiritual work ethic, but if you are lazy physically, most always, most always, it equates to being lazy spiritually. And so, consider that, as Paul, really, this is part of his testimony, is his willingness to work and not burden others to have to take care of his own needs, And so that good work ethic prevents burdens on others. There is a world of uh, career options out there for you guys. There is a a wide array. I mean, it just continues to grow, right? Having depth on the bench and learning how to do different things will profit you in life. And a good work ethic will speak volumes to your character and aid you in your ministries. A good work ethic will speak volumes to your character and aid you in ministry. Sometimes you'll need to do work that you don't want to do. Do that work well and rejoice over the fact that this is the Lord's provision for you and is also enabling you to proclaim Christ because your actions will back up your words. I spent, uh, I was in full-time ministry. Uh, I I left that ministry. God removed me from that ministry. Uh, and... uh I needed to be retrained—not retrained. I needed to be trained for ministry, and it was hard to leave ministry from going, going from being called a pastor to now going back into the construction world. I went back into the construction world, and uh, it was—I can't remember. I, I should have figured out the math. It was—it it probably took about seven or eight years of working construction before. I was actually back in full-time ministry. I was able to go into part-time ministry for a while, and really, I'll tell you, I, my heart was not in construction. My heart was in ministry. My heart was in in here working with the youth group, preaching God's word. Investing in your lives, desiring to see you look more like Christ, trying to help you as you walk through life as Christians. Uh, this is where my passion is. This is where my heart is. Uh, I hope that you guys understand and know. And even if you don't, too bad, I love you. And I want you to look like Christ. And so I'm willing to be the bad guy and have you not like me so much at times so that you would look more like Christ. And uh, the sweet thing is, is when we walk through the valleys, we get to rejoice on the mountaintop. But my heart wasn't in construction. And so I had to get up every morning. and 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 I had an amazing boss that knew my pursuit was ministry. I had to get up, and I had to purpose in my heart to be the best employee at construction I could be. Why? Because that's what was right it wasn't right for me to, to be begrudging my job. And by God's grace, I didn't. I, <clears throat> God brought me to a point where I was content that if, if I, I did construction all of my life and was only able to volunteer in youth ministry, that's what I was willing to do. And I was content with that. It doesn't mean I didn't have a goal beyond that, but that was where God had to bring my heart to, was contentment. Again, it wasn't begrudging of construction. I'm so grateful for the construction experience. And I'm so grateful for a boss that allowed me to work construction and also gave me the time to study and prepare for ministry and to train for ministry. You don't find that everywhere. But I had to be a good employee And I had to be passionate. I had to learn new things. Even when I knew I was going into ministry, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And this was the date. I had to work and I had to continue to learn new things. And I had to not let my mind drift off to what I wanted to do. And I needed to focus on finding great joy in doing this thing that God provided me as an avenue to get to this other goal. And so please understand and know that sometimes you have to do what you don't want to do to get to where you need to go. And even if you never get to do what you want to do, don't fail to honor God in the process of doing that. And it's not an eternal failure. You may, what are some of the things you, you, you want to do? Anybody in here want to be a nurse? Because that was kind of a, a big thing. Okay, one, one nurse. <coughs> how about a vet? A veterinarian? Okay, one veterinarian. Man, I'm missing the mark big time. How about chefs? Anybody want to be a chef? Oh, all right. Now we got our foodies. How about artists? Anybody want to be an artist? How about a, uh, a YouTuber? <laughs> uh, a professional gamer? <coughs> okay. Uh, how about an engineer? Jackson, how many careers are you going to have, dude? <clears throat> Teacher. Kind of it's on the, on the table, right? I'm not asking you to make a career choice right now in, in it. Who wants to be a missionary? Who wants to be a, a pastor? Hopefully this is men that are raising their hands. <laughs> you can't be a We'll talk later. <laughs> okay? So missionaries, preachers, uh, musicians. All right. There we go. We need, some of you are like, pick mine, pick mine. All right. What did I miss? What did I miss? Go ahead. Got to go quick, though. Judah? Wedding planner? Wedding planner. Jackson, you've already got three careers. Put your hand down. Surveyor. surveyor okay, a surveyor. That's good. That's, that's good. A midwife? A photographer? A photographer? How about a carpenter? Anybody want to be construction? All right, good, good. You're going to take over the family business, aren't you? Nice. What, what else? A florist. a florist, oh yeah. Computer programmer. Computer programmer, that's a good career. Nutritionist, all right. You could start with me, I need some. Astrophysicist, all right. The rocket surgeon. What's that? UFC fighter. All right, let's go. You want to get me in the cage someday, don't you? When I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. (laughs) All right, cool. All right, so here's here's the deal is if you never accomplish that goal, but you sought to honor God in the process, the world may see it as a failure. You may even see it as a failure. But it is eternal success, so don't forget to honor God in the process. Don't fail to honor God in the process. That's the only thing that's eternal, is what you honor God in. And so, what the world calls a failure, God doesn't necessarily call a failure. So don't be judged by the world's eyes in those things, okay? It gives your your work ethic gives testimony to your faith. Second, th- yeah, Second Thessalonians three, six through thirteen says, "Now we command you, brethren. You know what? Let's, let's get you moving your Bibles. Somebody open up to that. Second, Thessal- Second Thessalonians three. Actually, let's do a sword drill. Close your Bibles. Hold them up. It's been a while. Got to get you guys moving. Some of you are nodding off. <clears throat> All right." No fingers in there because I already gave you the reference. Uh, okay. Make sure there's no fingers in there. Okay. Sword drill. All right. If, if you're using a device, yeah, bird dogging you. I've got some Bibles over there. All right. So Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13, go. When you get it, stand up. All right,
1: John, read. 6 to, six to 13? Yep. Uh, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we do not act in an undiscipl- undisciplined way, manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undis- undiscipled life, doing not no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such a person we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in fight, passion, and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good.
0: So he's addressing the fact that they, uh, as apostles, actually could have received an offering uh, that would have been appropriate for them to receive an offering to provide for their meals. However, they did not do that to set an example to others, and they worked themselves and labored. And he was chastising those, and he calls those that are lazy, undisciplined, and unruly. And he, he says that they, if the person isn't willing to work, then they shouldn't get an offering. So it, it, it's not, uh, I'll be careful. Uh, when I say this, because the the welfare system can be used properly in goods to give people a hand up, and that is okay. The, the person that doesn't take care of their own family, the church that doesn't have benevolence and take care of their own members, is, is failing and sinning against God. However, if the person... Is lazy and not wanting to work and just live off of other people's gain, that is an abomination. That is unruly. That is undisciplined. That is wrong. And so he's talking about these people and addressing that we wanted to set an example because you should be willing to work. And so whether that is sitting behind a computer screen, uh, whether that is uh, taking photos, it doesn't have to be like this, you have to go like... Uh, lay asphalt on 103-degree days type work, okay? Uh, this, this is a wide range of work. However, you need to be disciplined in your work ethic. You need to have this good work ethic. It also uh, enhances the gospel opportunity. Verse 4 says, And he was reasoning in the synagogue <clears throat> every Sabbath and t- trying to uh, persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul worked all week as a tent maker and spent his spare time proclaiming the gospel in the synagogues. And so he he used that opportunity to provide for his living so, so that on the Sabbath he could go to the synagogue and proclaim the gospel. And so that work ethic, again, translates into a good evangelistic ethic. And so he had good evangelism ethics. Paul's proclam- uh, proclamation to the Corinthians was not one of manipulation, nor of anger. Uh, it was an angry confrontation. He wasn't doing pickets. He wasn't doing protests out in front of the synagogue, but a reasoning And so uh, back at verse 4 again, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so he's using this uh, passion. For, for what is happening. And, and so he's going to the synagogue because that's where uh, he usually starts. That's where you're going to find people that have already got some religious mindset, that have some knowledge about the Old Testament, would understand and know the prophecy of the Messiah. And therefore, as he's trying to present to them that Christ is the Messiah, those pieces of the puzzle would most likely fit in. And then the ministry flowed out from there. So he would start with the synagogue, right? And so he continues to start with the synagogue. In those Old Testaments. But he has a sincere passion for the lost. Paul is trying to show the Jews the Messiah. The word persuade is that of a passionate position and a passionate mission. And so Paul has this passion for the Jews. And he has a passion for the gospel. You notice, I, I told you earlier, and I don't, I'm not trying to do this to like guilt you into anything or to boast me of, but I, I love you. I love working with teens, and so I can equate to this because this is where God has given me a heart for you. And so I have a passion for you, and I have a passion for the gospel. And I have a passion for you to know the gospel and for you to live out the gospel. Paul had a passion for the Jews and he had a passion for the gospel. And so his desire was that you would live that out or that they would live that out, that they would receive Christ as the Messiah. And so he's proclaiming the gospel. It's not just a job of obligation for believers, evangelism is out of the abundance of the overflow of the love of God in, our, in, uh, in you poured out in love both to God and to others. And so evangelism shouldn't be a, a dreaded thing. It can be scary. I get it. Going out and evangelizing can be scary it can be some people can be intimidating why because we like it when people like us and the gospel can be offensive to people right But it shouldn't be just an obligation. It shouldn't be amongst those jobs that we dread to do and we're just doing it because because that's what we need to do. Evangelism should be an abundance of the overflow of the joy of Christ living in your heart. The love that God has given you should flow in your life so much that it overflows out of you. and flows back into love to God first and then into love to others second. The greatest command. What's the greatest commandment? That's the second. The second is like the greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say love you. Do you understand that you are the greatest competition to God in your life? is because why? We naturally love ourselves. That's why. We have to fight that fight. That is taking up your cross daily, is recognizing that I need to deny myself to take up my cross daily and follow after him. I need to not compete for lordship of my own life. It is God that is Lord, and he, he has that position. That is repentance and belief. That is bending the knee to Christ. We call him our Lord and our Savior, but the oftentimes we just want him to be our Savior, and we want to be Lord still. That is the competition in our lives. And so Paul is doing this out of a passion. It has to be a passion. It's not for personal gain. He doesn't really like the idea of being beat, stoned, dragged outside the city, left for dead, locked up in prison, whipped 40 times plus one, almost to death. That's not fun. He's not doing it for the kicks He's not doing it because this is what he always dreamed of being. He dreamed of being a Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees. And oftentimes that came with arrogance and pride and fame. And this is not this. He is a vagabond. He is making tents in the streets. And he is going in the synagogue and he's being despised and rejected by men. He's having to flee by night. He's having to depend on others. This isn't the dream life. But this is the life of a believer. And that may not be what God calls you to, but are you willing to do that if it is? Are you willing to forsake everything for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to give up your career goals? Some of you lit up when you got to share what it is you want to do. Are you willing to give that up for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to give up the idea of having 11 kids so you can have your own soccer team? For the sake of the gospel. Are you willing to to pursue singleness? Or are you willing to pursue marriage for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to not get your dream car or your motorcycle for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to not go on that family vacation next week or next year for the sake of the gospel? What are you willing to do for the sake of the gospel? Think about that. If God were to take those things away from you, those dreams away from you, is he still good? Is he still God? He is. And if you think he isn't, then you need to examine your heart. Because sometimes it's easy when you grow up in a Christian home, when you grow up in a church, to, to say God is good when everything is going your way. But when God takes a loved one out of your life, is he still good? Is he still God? He is. Think about those things. What makes you, is is it a quid pro quo? God, I'll love you if you do this for me. Then you don't understand your standing before God. You deserve nothing except his wrath poured out on you for eternity. He owes you nothing. Everything you have, life and breath, is God's good grace on you. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Right now, you are living in God's good grace. And so that is what needs to be, bring you so much joy, so much uh, excitement. So that, that needs to be the heartbeat of your life, so much that it overflows out of you in love back to God and in love to other people. And that is demonstrated in your work ethic, that is demonstrated in your school ethic, in your home ethic, in your, in your home life, and how you behave here at church. That is demonstrated in the outflow of the gospel as it is lived out by you in your actions and proclaimed by you with your mouth. And that's what Paul is doing. He is living it out in his actions and he is proclaiming it with his mouth. He is not a hypocrite in this ca- case. This also means tough love. Some people believe, live and let live. You do you and I'll do me. Uh, and this creates temporary peace on earth. This makes it so we can get along as co-workers or we can get along as friends or as people or as family, right? But that's not it. That's the easy way out. It's easy to agree to disagree. And professing Christians can walk uh, in, a, in, in such a way that creates harm, where you actually see churches now that are supporting the LGBTQ plus three, whatever it is now, right? There's Christians that are, that are accepting that, that are saying this is, this is okay, this is good. This is, this is okay for, for women to be preachers, to women to be pastors. This is okay for uh, the, the homosexual relationships not just to allow them to, to, uh, to uh, think that they're not living in sin. I want to be careful because understand also, that's the big thing of the time, but you could be totally against that. And you could still be just as deserving of hell as anybody else, okay? That is one of the sins that is deserving of hell, which every sin is deserving of hell. So if you never lived a horrible life, if you weren't as bad as you possibly could be, you're not better than them. They need Christ. And by telling them that they could be living in sin and loving it and accepting that sin and telling them that they have Christ, that is where the damage is coming. And it's for the sake of peace because it is a hard fight. You soon, very soon, I I pray for you guys because you are the generation that God has chosen to be his church during this time. It is not a mistake. He chose you to this calling, to this mission. You are to be the next generation of the church. Some of you may go astray. Some of you may leave the church and just run and do your own thing. But I'm telling you, those of you that are believers, those of you that love the Lord, you are going to face battles. I don't pretend to know the future, but I, it's, it's pretty easy to see. This is a battle you're going to have to fight. And you're going to be considered the narrow-minded because other, other religions are accepting it now. Other professing Christians are accepting it now. And so you are going to be considered the narrow-minded, the intolerant. You are going to be painted to be the bad person. Why? Because Scripture tells us the world will call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Read Romans chapter 1. And tell me that that is just not a description of the things that are going on. God is giving people over to a reprobate mind. He is giving them over to their own lusts, to their own burnings, their own desires. And the most unloving thing you could do to a friend is not share the gospel with them. That is the most unloving thing you can do. They may hate you. They may dislike you. They may persecute you. They may gossip about you. They may slander you all over social media. They may destroy you, but the most loving thing you can do is continue to proclaim the gospel. The most unloving thing you can do is to say, you do you and I'll do me. We'll just be friends and I'll love you. And you know what? Here's the reality. and I don't want you to think about this. That person you claim to love and because you love them, you're going to just let them do this thing and you're not going to push your Jesus talk down their throat. They're going to spend eternity burning in hell. Understand that. That is the consequences for rejecting Christ. Is taking that and saying, God, I, I, I'm rejecting you and the sacrifice, the way that you paid for me to go to heaven and I am going to reject that and I am willing to pay the consequences myself. And the wages of sin is what? You know this. The wages of sin is death. death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the only way you have eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knows this. This is what Paul is proclaiming. He's willing to be persecuted because he loves them, <clears throat> he loves them with a passion. He stated uh, that, it, it, I think it was in Romans also, yeah, Romans uh, 9. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul loved them that, to the point that he wished himself even to possibly, if he could give up his his inheritance for their sake, he would. But he can't. Because they need to bend the knee to Christ. The most loving thing you can do is be willing to be hated by the people that you're trying to help. When I was an EMT, I had a guy that was cut a temporal artery. That's in the side of the forehead. The temporal artery was cut on him. And it was bleeding, he was bleeding out, and he needed emergency surgery. But the surgery he needed needed to be done by a higher trauma, a trauma level one hospital, which was about two hours away. All right, so I'm in the back of the ambulance, and I am trying to control the bleeding on the side of this guy's head. You control bleeding like this with direct pressure. So I am pushing this guy's head almost through the backside of the stretcher. So that's my job for two hours in the back of an ambulance, pushing down on the side of this guy's head. There was another EMT there that was squeezing bags of blood into him to try to replenish the blood, while the driver's driving about 120 miles an hour screaming down the interstate trying to get us there so this guy won't die in the back of the ambulance. At one point during this process, the guy yelled at me. was angry at me. And he said, you're hurting me. Stop. Did I stop? No. Why? Because I knew that pain was temporary. That discomfort was temporary. And I was saving his life. He wanted the temporary pain to stop. He wanted the temporary discomfort to stop. But I knew five, 10 years from now, he would be grateful that guy in the back of the ambulance didn't stop pushing down on the side of his head. Friends, people may hate you for preaching the gospel. They may reject you. They may mock you. They may despise you. It feels uncomfortable to them, and they may not like it. But five, ten years down the road, when they finally bend the knee to Christ, they will be so thankful that you planted the seed, that you didn't give up on them, that you didn't stop praying for them, that you didn't stop talking your Jesus talk to them. It's eternity on the line. You understand that there's not like a point where you spend five years in hell and then God comes and says, Did you learn your lesson? Now I'm going to pull you out of time out. That's not it. That's final. You make the decision now. Your friends make the decision now. That should give you a passion and a drive if you truly love them. If you truly love them, you should be willing to inflict discomfort into their life for the period of time so that they could spend eternity in heaven with their creator. That brings glory to God. That brings, that's true love for others. So this spiritual laziness is, is the person that would rather just have peace For a short period of time. And just get along with others. For this short period of time. For the sake of that. That comfort for the moment. Instead of going through a hard time. Giving that hard work ethic. To get to where you want to go. It takes true conviction. If you truly believe this. Then you're truly going to love people enough to preach the gospel. You need to second-seize the opportunity. Verse 5, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews uh, that Jesus Jesus was the Christ. And so now he had the opportunity. So now... He's got his partners there, whether that freed up time, whether that just gave him the encouragement and the motivation to have the team, whatever the case was, he seized the opportunity. Now there was presented an opportunity for him to go all out, devote all of his time to this proclamation, and so he did. He also recognized his dependence on the, Spirit, on the Holy Spirit Paul described his ministry to the Corinthians in more detail in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority or speech of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my message and in my message in my uh, preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit, spirit of the power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This is his description of what he was like. He was fear and trembling. He was a man that was just dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truths of the gospel. As we're getting ready to wrap up, I want to challenge you to do hard things. It says, but when the, uh, they had resisted and blasphemed, he shook off the garment and said to them, your blood be on your head. I, uh, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. <clears throat> the Jews resisted to the point of blaspheming. Understand this. A lot of people will say there is a God. A lot of people will say there is a divine creator. A lot of people say there is a higher power. But... If you reject Jesus Christ, you are rejecting God, because Jesus Christ is God's provision of the gospel. Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ is the means in which God has chosen to save people. John uh, 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. But there also comes a point when the Gospel is rejected so bad that you, you stop doing that matthew seven six talk, talks it about like throwing pearls among swine you don 't just continue to cast it down to be trampled. when there comes a point where people reject to, the point, to that harshness that you turn them over to that but not giving up on them. It is, it is turning over. He's shaking off his garment. It, God comm- or Christ commanded the apostles when he was sending them out in Matthew 10, if somebody rejects it, you shake the dust off your sandals and leave. And that is a sign to them. That, that's a symbol to them and saying, I am shaking you off. I am, this is unclean. And that in and of itself should be sending a message to them to say, that's heavy. That's big. He's not just trying to debate me. Right, Because when you start getting into useless debates and wrangling about words, and it's obvious that people don't want to hear the gospel and that it's not penetrating, you need to shake off the dust. But it doesn't mean you give up on them. All right, It means that you don't continue to cast that as tools, as weapons. When we taught our uh, uh, apologetics, I had a young man that came to me and asked for my material for the skits. When we were doing the skits and arguing against Christianity, pretending to be uh, college professors that weren't Christians and arguing, he wanted that material. I knew that kid was an unbeliever, and I knew he wanted to use that material to argue against Christians to try to embarrass them later on in life, and I didn't give him that material. So, sometimes you can be laying things and just people are into stimulating conversations and intellectual arguments. And, and that's when you just need to realize okay, I'm casting pearls among swine. I need to walk away, but I need to pray and I need to continue to bring it back. Here's, here's the thing when you get in those big debates, bring it back to the gospel. All right, so uh, the gospel is love. I need to wrap things up. I didn't get through everything I wanted to get through. Uh, but I want to just close this with Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father for his angels, uh, Father with his angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Are you living for now or are you living for eternity? What will it profit you if you gain the whole world, if you get everything you hoped and dreamed and desired of, but you lose your soul? It will profit you regrets and anguish for eternity. That's what it'll profit you. Hell is not the place where you get to do all the cool things you want to do, and it's like a big party and the devil's in charge. No, that's not it. Hell is God's wrath poured out on you for eternity. Think about that. When you're thinking about your choices, your decisions, your day-to-day conversations, your day-to-day relationships, think about those things. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You're in the world, you need to have jobs, you need to to do these things, you need to eat, you need to have food, you need to have money but use those things to bring glory and honor to God to further the gospel, because that's what we're truly called for. That is God's will for everyone. You want to know what God's will for your life is? To glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man. That's God's will for your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this day. Just pray that you would help us, Lord. We know we are weak. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for our failures, that you would Grant us the strength to to see that we can live in the light of your forgiveness, that we wouldn't allow our failures to be something that would hinder us from now moving on and doing what's right. Lord, we, we know that we need you, and so we pray that you would help us to just be dependent on you, to call on you, to be passionate about you, to love you to the point of it overflowing from our lives in an abundance of love for others. I ask these things in Christ's name, amen.